Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Jingle Jared. In my former occupation, I was the biggest jingle writer of all time. Now, I'm looking for a new job, speaking to every entrepreneur that I can find so I can find out what it's like to transition from one career to another. All of this expert advice has become the bedrock for a podcast I'm calling Occupational Therapy. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Buckle up for an unfiltered dose of comedy. Full disclosure, I've had a lot of sex, but honestly, having sex with me is like buying a Prius. It's much quieter than you'd expect. Epics presents Unprotected Sets. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Lips LA. y'all i'm uncle drank star of the ballad of uncle drank it is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me fictional golf and western country music pioneer uncle drank the series also stars luke wilson brian kelly chelsea lynn kinky friedman and billy zane as a talking blender named blendy you can find the ballad of uncle drank on sirius xm pandora stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts you're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey guys, welcome to the show today. This is Scott Lips, and you're listening to Lip Service. Uh, we should make a note: this is a bonus episode. It's actually the first time we're coming to you live from the WeWork Studios. Pretty great. The people here at WeWork put an entire podcast studio in here, which is awesome, and super excited to be broadcasting live from here for you today too. Um, on today's show, we have a good friend of mine. Everyone's a good friend of mine who comes on these shows, but he really is. Marvin Scott Jared. Welcome, Marvin. Thanks, Scott. So um, as you guys may or may not know, but Marvin has an extensive, extensive uh, history in publishing and also started as a musician. So we have so much to cover today. Um, I really love Marvin's whole entrepreneurial story, and it's something we're going to get into. And we're here actually to promote his book, Raygun, the Bible of Music and Style, which is an amazing book. Just coming out now in Rizzoli. Marvin, if you guys don't know, started many magazines, notably Raygun and Nylon, um, amongst others. I didn't even know, Marv, that you actually, uh, for a period of time, you even ran Cream magazine. I did. I did. Um, That's so how when I you, got my start. And how you, when you actually do research, you find out stuff about your friends that you had no idea about, So, which is pretty cool because Cream, I remember Cream back in the 70s, but when did you take, I actually, I want to, let's take it all the way back to the beginning, right? Okay. So you actually grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, did you not? I did. Cool. I did. I used to not tell people, but uh, you know, there's, now, there now is no Wikipedia a... for you, so I really had to do some I digging know. around. <laughs> there. I, I asked Mar before he came on. I'm like, "Is there a Wikipedia?" He's like, "No, there's no Wikipedia." And then I went to the Wikipedia page, and it was like defunct or something. So I, I couldn't find. So I, you know, not that easy when you know someone pretty well. 
but you still want to know the facts and figures. You still want to get stuff right. So I, I love people's journey, Mars, and I love the, the idea of – I don't know if you've ever listened to this podcast, but I, I've spoken about it once or twice. It's called How I Built This on NPR. Yeah. And I think people's stories and their journeys and how they've made it, you know, how they've been successful. You have built this publishing empire where you started many magazines. Notably, the last one was Nylon, and we're going to talk about what you've been doing the last few years too, obviously. But um, we're here to talk about Raygun, your start in publishing, how you went from being a kid growing up in Jacksonville, Florida, to building this publishing media empire, right? So take take us back to the beginning and tell us about your sort of journey and how it all started. Sure. So um, I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, my I, I was actually born in, in Erie, Pennsylvania, and my family moved down to Florida when I was two. So Jacksonville's my hometown. And I grew up, um, and I became obsessed with music. And like me, which is why we yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. So you know, I and I became obsessed with magazines. You know, I just was obsessed with them, and one of them was Cream. So, so you're a kid. You're listening to music. What were you listening to growing up? Bowie, Mott the Hoople, some other guitar things like UFO and cool. Montrose. So and, mostly heavy rock. Heavy rock, but also a lot of British rock. I was always influenced by everything coming out of England. Yeah, it's funny. You you tend to gravitate towards people that you have similar interests with. So obviously, the music side we connect on. Mm-hmm. I'm a magazine head. Is that a is that a terminology? I, a mag, I like a mag it. Head let's or let's something. start it. So you've started <laughs> magazines. So all right. So you're listening to Mott the Hoople. You're listening to British rock, and you're like, hey, I also love design. And I love magazines, right? When, what was the first few magazines that you were into growing up? Because I started looking at, obviously, music magazines, too, which takes us back to, like, Roxine and Cream and all those early 70s and 80s music magazines. It's Circus. Remember Circus? I do remember Circus. So were you a fan of all those magazines growing Not up? Not necessarily. I, I did read Circus, um, but Cream really was was my musical Bible back then. Um, when did Cream start? And you didn't start it, obviously, I, right? I obviously didn't start it. No. I think it was started in the early 70s, cool. maybe, in Detroit. Well, and both of us are like 30, so we yeah, wouldn't exactly. even know We wouldn't know. That, right? well, yeah, we well, well, we know that, though, right? <laughs> no, we're not. But, um, but in a perfect world, we would be. But so, so you're reading Cream. I mean, you obviously never thought that you would get to sort of take – what was your actual role there? When, so, and how did that come about? So, tell, tell us so that let me, let me tell you a little bit more. So I'm reading Cream, um, you know – 13, 14, it like influenced all my musical direction. Like, you know, that's how I learned about Mott the Hoople or Lou Reed or all these things. And, you know, back then, magazines were like your portal to to different worlds. And, you know, I was also into surfing and I was into skateboarding and motocross. So I would buy those magazines and as well. And they, they would just transport you to another world. But music was my passion, and uh, I and remember this is pre-internet pre-inter- for all you kids pre- listening, right? So pre- magazines were really the only way to get this like rock information. Exactly. Right. So you know, I, I, you know, Cream influenced me to pick up my first guitar. So I started playing guitar, and I don't think you know this about me, Scott. You might not know. I may not. <laughs> I probably don't. But if you're um, saying that. So from the time I was sixteen to nineteen. I played with um, Johnny Van Zant. Wow. 
So, Did not know that. So I was the lead guitarist with Johnny Van Zandt. Wasn't he a guitar player? No, he's a singer. Uh, Leonard Skinner, right? His oldest brother was Ronnie Van Zandt from Leonard Skinner. Okay. And then his middle brother was Stevie 30, Van Zandt. 38 Special. Oh, okay. Johnny okay. Van Zandt. Okay. So I grew up in playing in this band, and we shared a rehearsal hall with Leonard Skinner and 38 Special. And, wow. How old were you then? Um, 16. Were you doing covers or were those originals? Did some covers and we did originals. You so, didn't You didn't do Leonard Skinner covers? No, we didn't. No. No. That, w- that would have been funny. No, but I was, <laughs> you know, I was into the whole British rock thing and, you know, it was, it was a interesting and formative time in my life. And, um, you know, I got, I was close to, you know, a lot of things and, and Leonard Skinner's manager, a guy named Peter Rudge actually managed us for a period of time and he managed the who, I don't know if you know his name, but no, it's amazing. famous, iconic manager. Even to have a manager like that at like 13, 14 yeah, years old, that's exactly. pretty weird, right? Yeah. Pretty we played great. in bars. We couldn't drink in them. And you had a fake ID? I did. You had a fake. We all had a fake ID. (laughs) You're not really supposed to be 13 playing in clubs, so you needed fake IDs. So, yeah. Yeah. So, and one time we played Gary Rossington's wedding, which was interesting. That's cool. Very cool. (laughs) No, by by the way, I had no idea about this. So, you're playing in this band. It's going well. You're reading Motocross Magazine, Cream Magazine, Rock Scene Circus. Were you reading Circus? Circus. I did read Circus. Not Rock Scene, really. And, and when did sort of the connected dots thing happen where you're like, you know, hey, like, um, I, I feel like music and, and magazines and, and this is sort of like my path. I mean, yeah. at a certain point, you probably the light switch went it on did, and you're like, it did go off. Yeah. So one of the things that influenced me was when I was 19, my my father passed away. So it, oh. it and I have three older sisters. So I felt this like urge that I've got to take care of my family, even though Financially, it probably wasn't true, but I was the man of the family. Yeah. So at that point, you know, I had sort of like a disagreement with Johnny, and um, I just said, look, I'm going to go on my own path. And I started my own band. And, and, and you were in that band for six years? Three years. Oh, three years. Okay. And three, during, four those, years, yeah. during those three or four years, did you record anything? We is did it, record. Is it on the internet? Um, one of the songs that I co-wrote was a song called Only the Strong Survive. That was a big FM hit. Should we play that at some point? No, let's okay. not. Let's not. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's not. I, I feel so, like that could be a good, you know, yeah, no, no. Marvin's first track. Right. So, um, If you liked it, you would probably tell us to play it. But right. Still, no. If you guys want to go no, deep, you should no, definitely download no. that song. After that, I just started thinking serious about what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And at some point in my early 20s, I sort of connected the dots about music and magazines, and I, I went to work for this guy um, who had bought Cream magazine um, from the founder's widow. And Now, when you start like that, are you starting as an intern? Because that's how I started when I first started in the fashion business. I started, I started um, in sales. I started in sales. and um, So you're 19. Yeah. Marv, hit the, hit the phone, sell some media space. Here, exactly, right? yeah. What yeah, was your you pitch? Know. Do you remember your pitch? It's the the coolest rock magazine in the world. You got to be in it. Something, something w- like that. And were you pitching like car brands or like what kind of brands were you pitching? God, I which would, ironically enough, it probably ties into you later in life because yeah. you probably did that in your entire media life, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, it's part, it's part of it, and then yeah. I sort of like lost that that part. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so I was doing that, and and what's really interesting is that um, this guy who was running it at the time who had bought it, he 
let me start a business within the company. And I, I started a t-shirt business and we, we did boy howdy t-shirts. Very cool. So I was able to make extra money off these boy howdy t-shirts. And so how does that come about? You're working at the magazine. Yeah. And you're like, I have this idea. I want to start a clothing line. Yeah. And you go to the guy that owns the magazine. You're like, do you mind if on the side I start a t-shirt line? Yeah. I mean, he and was, he, get, he was getting a piece of it. Okay. So, so, and so it he was, was cool. a, it was all based around cream merch, if you will. Okay. You know, you know boy howdy. Yeah. I don't know if everybody knows boy howdy. Yeah. I go deep though with music history. So, so, um, so anyway, um, at some point I get into some sort of argument with him and I go back to Florida and he stops publishing the magazine and, but I still had a contact with him and I got a friend of mine, one of my best friends, uh, I, and I, we sat down and I said, look, I have this opportunity. We could buy cream magazine, this, this iconic magazine. And my friend, Shay Ralph, his family had a paper company. And for some reason, I thought, oh, they got a paper company. Why not have, have a rock magazine, too? <laughs> no correlation, but, you know. So, you know, so you live you, in Florida, so do I. We should buy a magazine. Exactly. Right. So um, we did just that. And, wow. uh, and how we, much did it cost you to raise the money? I mean, I don't know if this is, like, pertinent, you know, like, confidential information because the magazine doesn't exist anymore. Right. right? It doesn't so. exist. But it's um, interesting for people to know, right? You had to raise money. So yeah. what kind of money did so, you have to raise? So so basically, my friend put up all the money. I don't know what was it's it some like a hundred thousand or like millions have, of dollars. No, it something. was definitely not millions of dollars. Okay. It was uh, about a hundred, you know, thousand dollars, and then the cost of starting a magazine, you know, with a printer and and did you know anything about magazine. running? Yeah, did you know anything about running magazines at that point? You Absol- had only themselves. Absolutely not. Right. <laughs> so there, there's a, there's a there's something like a fake it till you make it. It was a fake it till you make it play, but right. but I just had a feeling I could make this thing work, and um, I oversaw all the creative, and um, Shay ran the business aspect of it from from Florida, so he dealt with the printer and and sort of the the bills of the magazine, etc. And how many people worked there when you took over the magazine? Um, we had. Maybe I had five people in my um, place, as well as I hired this really cool art director named Gary Kupke, um, and he was based out of Boston. So I would go to Boston every time the issue closed and and work with Gary on the art direction. Um, and in terms of the creative, because one of the things you're known for, Marv, is design. Yeah. Because um, I think all your magazines historically, whether it's Raygun or Nylon or I even read, you know, Bikini. Yeah. Like, we're going to get into that too. Um, design has always been a really big factor of the way that you sort of curate magazines. In addition, you've always been known for really getting to sort of have the ability to recognize bands before they become really famous and put them on covers. So we'll get into that too. But I, I mean, over the course of uh, the book we're going to talk about, Raygun, you discover, sort of help discover or push out some major acts along the way. So when you were at Cream, were there bands that you were trying to help break, like, you know, sort of before they became famous? Yeah, for sure. Because um, it was like Van Halen. I, I don't know. the, the what, what were the years exactly? It was, it was from 1990 to ninety. Two is right. when I did that. So yeah, I mean it was it was interesting. Like the first, the first cover happened. We were trying to figure out who we were going to put on this first cover when we relaunch. And d- yes, design was important. I found this amazing designer, this guy Gary Kupke, and I wanted to make this big, oversized magazine that was had the cream heritage, but like 
looked like something that would be collectible and people could tear pictures out and put it up on their wall. So, which is what I used to do when I was a kid. Did you yeah, do that? Of course. In fact, of course, I think. Man. In fact, I think you'll find this interesting. I had a big. I wasn't. I was too young to really know who Mott the Hooba were or Ian Hunter, but because my mom used to go to London when I was a kid and just like I said, just grab me whatever records are like relevant mm-hmm. there. I had a huge like Ian Hunter poster on my wall growing up. I had no idea who he was or what he sang. I never really cared to put the two of those together, but I somehow I ended up with like in Mott the Hoople, and it seems to be a very common commonality in, in subjects that are coming up. I believe on next week's show we have Def Leppard. So Joe Elliott was a huge yeah, Mott the Hoople fan. So Mott the Hoople sort of seems to be a reoccurring theme. I, I love Mott the Hoople. Yeah, um, very cool band. Very, I think, underrated band. Definitely. And, yeah, amazing. Yeah. So so how did you decide on that? You relaunched the magazine. You know nothing about doing magazines. <laughs> you have a staff of five. <laughs> right. You have no idea right. what you're doing. Well, here's what you do. You surround yourself with amazing people. Right. And that's one of the reasons why I've been successful. Um, don't be intimidated by having somebody who knows one subject better than you do. So, you know, I had connected with a guy at Warner Brothers Records, a guy named Bill Bentley. I said, I'm looking for an executive editor for the relaunch of Cream. And he heard, he turned me on to this guy, Rob Seidenberg. And I brought Rob in who had the experience of assigning writers, etc. Um, I just started like overseeing all the the photography in the magazine. So I would meet with photographers, see their books and decide who shot what. So I'm more of a visual editor and I always surround myself with somebody who's super strong as executive editor, who's more of a quote words person, unquote. So, so even sort of the journalism aspect of what you were doing back then, right? Because obviously journalism and rock and roll has changed a lot to where it has today where it used to be. How did you find the writers? Were these the writers that were already writing for the magazine, or did you meet with all new crews when you came in to relaunch it? Um, you know, Rob had a stable of writers that he had worked with. He was doing a magazine in New York prior to moving out to L.A. So we used a lot of these guys that were that were senior music writers, but one of the things that that I felt about the new cream, it was beautiful and it looked amazing and the tone of the old cream didn't necessarily work with what I was doing as far as the visuals. So we, we became more of a, um, more like straight ahead rock journalism with, with a bit of a bite, but not nearly the tone of Lester Bangs, for example. And your competition at that point was Rolling Stone and Spin, right? Exactly. Or were there other, yeah. was it rock scene or? No, I don't think those guys existed, but it was Rolling Stone and Spin for sure. And mm-hmm. how long did you, you know, run Cream for? Two years. So okay. basically my, my, the story of my best friend is like he, um, you know, this family put in like, a million bucks at this point, you know, the magazine was losing X amount of dollars and we're still, we're coming close to break even. And his family just said, look, Shay, you got to get out of this thing. (laughs) (laughs) You're in the worst business you could possibly be in. Get out of publishing. (laughs) You lost a million dollars of our money, (laughs) which a million dollars back then was a lot of money. Five million or something. So, so so what do you, so you, you're sitting there and you're like, all right, what am I going to do next? So what was Marvin's next steps? So, so basically we tried to find a partner. We talked to a few people here in LA and then my, um, Shay found this guy in New York and I didn't really hit, hit it off with this guy. 
And um, so I stayed there for like 30 days and I quit and I, that's when I started Raygun. So then Matt, did Cream fold after that? It went on for about another year. Okay. Um, and Next time I see you, I actually want to see a copy. Do you still have copies of Cream when you did it? I, I don't, but I could probably get one. I mean, I'd love to see yeah. one. That, it would just cool, be man. cool to look at it to see what you it's did. Cool. So you're right. All right. You're like, okay, well, the publishing business was terrible, but I'm going to do this again. You know, <laughs> <laughs> we just lost a million dollars. It was terrible. I really love music, but let me start another one. Is that kind of That's what happened? kind of it, man. Yeah. Um, so, uh, even though you knew it was sort of a bad idea from a financial perspective, well, I felt it could be a great idea from a financial perspective as well. But I mean, I, why I, do you I, think that Cream didn't succeed, whereas some of your other publications did? A lot of reasons. Maybe because I did make the 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 physical production so expensive, right? And it was a mainstream magazine on the newsstand, and you know, back then, you know, you you. You sell like thirty, thirty-five percent of what you put out. So, so how many copies were you? Uh, we were putting. Printing? We were putting out like between one hundred and fifty and two hundred thousand copies. So, you know, it gets that's what gets expensive, right. and um, you know, it's sort of like people don't realize that with with newsstand things. No matter what the title is, it's you're not gonna. It's going to be very rare that you're going to sell more than 40% if you're, like, across the everywhere. Definitely. Well, we're going to be back in a second. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break. I do want to come back and hear how you started Raygun Magazine, because at the end of the day, we are here to talk about your new book. It's Rizzoli book. It's called Raygun, the Bible of Music and Style. I read the whole thing in about a day. Well, that's not true, but I did skim through the entire thing. It's a great book, um, a full of, like, amazing photos. I want to talk about the history of Raygun. Everyone from David Bowie to Radiohead was on covers. We're going to get into the whole thing. We'll be back in just a moment after this quick commercial break. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey, guys. I want to talk about a product that I really love. Uh, it's a company called Thursday's Boots. Been around for a couple of years. Uh, if you do follow me on Instagram at Scott Lips, you'll probably notice that I'm constantly talking about these shoes, these boots. You know, it's really great when you have a product that you feel very connected to. So this is definitely a boot that I love. I wear all the time. Even if I wasn't, you know, doing stuff with them, I would still talk about it. A lot of my friends have gotten hip to them. Check them out. Really iconic brand. Amazing boots. Uh, and uh, I want to say thank you to the guys at Thursday's Boots. And check them out online. This is Lips LA. Hey, guys. We're back. Welcome to the show again. We are here with Marvin Scott Jared editor-in-chief of many magazines, and now we're here to talk about Raygun. So, Marv, take us back again. So you're leaving Cream Magazine, wasn't working out, lost a million dollars, but you're like, we, I definitely just started another magazine right now. So how did the idea of Raygun Magazine come about? And uh, I know it, it for me, uh, one of the things that's interesting about Raygun, and we should talk about it for a minute, it definitely had a different graphic design. It had almost like Japanese typography than other magazines. It had a different look and feel, more so than almost any other magazine I'd ever seen. It was way more arty, mm -hmm. way more avant-garde. I would even call it edgy. Um, so talk about how that inception started after Cream Magazine. Well, um, while I was doing Cream, um, my art director there, Gary Kupke, had turned me on to this cool, like smallish magazine called Beach Culture. And um, this was a magazine that David Carson was designing. And uh, I just loved the look of it. I thought it was awesome. But I also thought that it seemed like a niche 
to do that sort of look in the in the in the space that uh, that he was he was in. Um, I just thought I could I could really broaden it by putting this guy into a music magazine. So I thought I'm going to do a new music magazine. I'm interested in using this guy. But knowing that your previous magazine had lost money, like what made you decide, hey, you know, I really love magazines. So whether it loses money, it makes money, I don't care. Like I'm going to try. And re- How did you raise money for this magazine? How did it start? I understand the, the art director right, aspect, sure, but sure, sure. you had to raise the money, right? Here you are, you're out of a job, <laughs> it's a few months later, you're like, now i got to start another magazine. How'd you raise the money? Well, I should say that, yes, the magazine, that Cream magazine was in certain amount of like negative cash flow, but the brand, I felt, was still worth a lot of money. So I don't know exactly what the deal that Jay worked out was, but hopefully he got most of his money back. But regardless, you had to to start another magazine. You had to raise money, right? <laughs> I I did ish, or or you don't, ish. or did you not? I sort of connected some dots, like um, you know, and a lot of people don't know this, but uh, you know, I went out. I had we made a media kit. I went. How did you know how to do that? Just from being at Cream Magazine, you yeah, know? okay, yeah, exactly. Um, and I. Already had a hit at Curtis Distribution, which was the biggest magazine distributor in the world. Um, and I knew that I could go back to Curtis, but I also knew of this company, um, this company, um, Ingram Books, and they were the biggest book distributor in the world. And I thought, I knew they wanted to get into magazine distribution, so I thought I could leverage um, my background into getting a good deal at Ingram. So the deal I worked out with Ingram was worth a million bucks. It was, but did, was it your own capital you had to put in? You sort of partnered with the company to raise the money. So Ingram kind of put the seed capital into the magazine. They put. They gave me a guarantee of a million dollars, and I went and and at this point we, you know, I owned a hundred percent of Raygun with Jacqueline. So Jacqueline, your wife, we yes, should correct. Say, who um, who later <laughs> became your partner also at Nylon Magazine. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, um, and yeah, I read somewhere that you sort of started the Reagan magazine out of your bedroom in Beverly Hills, right? We started out of a one bedroom apartment, um, in Beverly Hills. Uh, it wasn't actually my bedroom, it was the living room and dining room. So it's a technicality, <laughs> but you started out of your whether it was the bathroom or <laughs> the bathroom or the kitchen, you started out of your apartment, right? And and also in terms of the uh, the title, you were driving around La Cienega. You and I are both huge Bowie fans, and you're like Moon Age Daydream lyric Raygun. That's it, right? That's sort totally. of how it came that, out. Yeah, that is this. That is the story. I yeah, mean, it was like listening to that song, and I just heard that line, "Put your Raygun to my head," and I thought Raygun that could be a really cool name for my music magazine. So one of the greatest where, Bowie songs. That's where that's where it comes from. So yeah, so uh anyway, we had the infrastructure where I knew I could get the magazine printed, etc. and we started off very lean with like three people in my one bedroom apartment, me and um and Jacqueline and uh and Randy Bacosta. And Randy had a fanzine back at the time called Contrast. And I'd met him on like a junket um, when I was doing Cream. We met in Ireland, in Dublin. So um, we just hit it off and I liked this guy. And I thought I'm going to bring him in to be my executive editor. 
And from someone also starting a business like myself, and I think the trials and tribulations of starting businesses, Marvel, are always what's very interesting to people, right? So you leave Cream, and like at that point, you raise the money, you get a guarantee, whatever it may be. Do you draw a salary, or do you say, hey, did you have money to live on? Because obviously, I think people's, you know, listen, everyone goes through highs and lows in their businesses. You know, some people intern, some people, you know, take nothing for years. Some people, like, are very fortunate and come from family money. Mm-hmm. At that point... You obviously partnered up with this Ingram's book company, but uh, you know how did you sort of make ends meet? Because it's not easy to start any company. Sure. Um, yeah, we drew like a very small salary, and uh, you know we sold. We ended up selling advertising for it. I went to all the record companies. That's another way we financed it. We, I went to all the record companies, and pretty much everybody bought, bought ads. Cool. And who was your first cover? Uh, my first cover of Ray Gun was Henry Rollins. Great. Very cool cover. And and subsequently, as I said, you sort of started to break artists, right? And you start the magazine, you start picking artists. Like, ha- tell us the sort of the, you know, the journey on how artists got picked for the cover, like where your musical taste and where the taste of, because it was the 90s, right? Sure. So, so where music was headed and how you sort of decided on, all right, I'm going to put my stamp on pop culture and these are going to be the artists, whether it's Nine Inch Nails or Bowie that you subsequently had on a cover, which must have been a pretty incredible story um, yeah. that we're going to talk about because it's one of my favorite parts of your new book. Um, and I, I should talk about the new book again, Raygun, <laughs> the Bible of Music and Style on Rizzoli Books. So, you know, comes out Tuesday. Comes out Tuesday. So how did that all happen, right? I mean, how did you decide on the bands? You know, was Ingram Books like happy with sort of how, the, you know, the, the sort of succession of, of the journey of the magazine was Absolutely. going Absolutely. I mean, we had a hit uh you know you knew right away or did it take some time i kind of knew right away like we had it just resonated with a lot of people um all over the world you know um to be fair it's it's quite an arty magazine it is very arty it's almost i would almost say like of course yeah some might even say like like almost harder to i don't think that magazine could exist today online right because it was very abstract um super the art direction's incredible um but like Art direction-wise, you couldn't sort of, you know, that wouldn't live as a digital magazine today in the same way, right? Because magazines now are very like, it's just like reading a read-it page or whatever it may be, right? And and what Raygun became to get known for was definitely the art direction and the typography and sort of the, the look and feel. I hadn't really seen other magazines look like that. No, there were, there were no other magazines looking like that at that time. And, and that was one of our... our calling cards it was it was amazing and uh you know i just believe that the the spirit of music and the dna of music and graphic design and cool production values you know would create something really unique to and, go on and, and live on did. Yeah. yeah so obviously you knew right away you had a hit did it start making money right away probably like a little bit of money you know after the first few issues um you know, I think the second or third issue, um, you know, we started getting calls from all the big global advertisers like Nike wanted to advertise, Levi's wanted to advertise. It became, I think, you know, in the it got known in the art departments of all these big brands. And, and then we started getting a lot of advertising. And um, 
So then it started to become more successful. And, and that was back when people used to actually advertise in magazines, right? Correct. So it's a different, <laughs> it's a different story now. Right. But I think I love to hear the stories too, right? So the journey is important. And we've now learned, you know, from Cream Magazine, the Ray Gun, how you started this whole path. But one of your best stories must be the Bowie story because, you know, you and I, again, mm-hmm. one of many things we bond on, I remember meeting Bowie at the Cat House in L.A. when I was a kid. It was like the biggest, you know, the Guns N' Roses, everybody was playing there. It was like the happening rock club. Um, they're still doing podcasts today about the history of Cat House. And ironically enough, I listened to one the other day about how David Bowie went there and got like kicked out or got chased down the street by Axl Rose or something weird. But I remember going there when I was a kid and he asked me for a cigarette. Ironically enough, I don't even smoke. I think I don't even know if it registered to me like David Bowie had just asked me for a cigarette. How weird is that? Um, I, I don't even I can't even really recall the details. It's all foggy. But let's talk about how you end up getting well, him on well, the did cover. Did you get him a cigarette? I know I didn't smoke, Dude, and I didn't. You I should have asked somebody else for a cigarette I, I and think, give this guy a cigarette. Honestly, I think I was so <laughs> like I went on years later, as you probably know, to work with his wife Amon for many many sure. years. But um, and I always thought I'd be invited over the house for dinner, Thanksgiving. Never, never. In fact, I met him once with Amon, and she was like, "This is David," and then they kind of walked away. And so I didn't. I hadn't really gotten more than probably ten seconds ever. Did you with tell him. him about your cigarette experience? No, I didn't. I had. I literally had ten seconds with him. And that was my only. Even though my whole wall was a Mick Rock, Ziggy Stardust <laughs> picture growing up, you know. But um, so tell us about the, the David Bowie story because obviously that's sort of one of the pinnacles uh, from the book because there's a whole sort of chapter dedicated to that and the photography and whatnot. Um, did you photograph him? How did it come to be? Give us the whole story because it's pretty interesting. I did not photograph him. Um, I, you know, we we went to, um, or I should I say, I went to the photo shoot at uh, – First, I should back up by saying the first time I met Bowie was actually in the Cream days. We did a Tin Machine cover. Oh, cool. For those of you who don't remember, that was sort of a band that <laughs> sort of didn't really make it, but it was a cool sort of side project. Yeah. We had. But uh, so we did Bowie and Tin Machine for a cover of Cream, and I walked into the photo shoot. Um, Frank Ockenfels was shooting it, and uh, I um, I just go up to him and I go, wow, your, your eyes really are like that. They're two different colors. And he's like, yeah, they are. <laughs> and it was just like a matter of fact. And then we just started talking and it was super cool. It's weird and, when you meet your idols. Like what, what's the first <laughs> thing that comes out of your mouth? Yeah. I was like, wow, your eyes are like that. Yeah. I went up to Gene Simmons <laughs> when I was a kid at, at Equinox of all places or someplace like that. Like it was like Bally's Fitness. And I said, I'm sure you've heard this like before, but you were like my childhood idol growing up. And he's like uh, once or twice. <laughs> I was like, oh, thanks. So anyway, so you go, you said your eyes are like this and, and then you hit it off. Or? Yeah, we hit it off. We just started talking about music and, and everything. Thing and and uh, I stayed at the photo shoot obviously for the whole thing and that's where that picture no actually no that picture of the me and Bowie and, and Randy and Mark was comes from another shoot so um, there was a shot of me and Bowie back from that Frank Ockenfell session that I need to find actually but um, well any great Bowie stories that you can remember other than like you know. Son of saying something kind of awkward like I did when I met my childhood idol. Well, yeah, there's some great Bowie stories. Um, you know, there was another Bowie shoot that we did for for the cover, and uh, I went went down to the shoot, and and Bowie remembered me, and 
and he invited me to sit down for lunch and it was it was surreal right yeah surreal yeah, totally to absolutely right it was cool um anything but, he but, revealed at that lunch like you didn't know about him or did you find him more approachable than you thought he would be or anything? i did find him more approachable than i thought he would be um Cause it is true. Sometimes when you do meet your childhood idols, it doesn't always go so well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've had that happen too. Yeah. <laughs> but he was everything you thought he would be. Everything I thought he would be. An amazing guy and total, totally kept inspiring me and throughout my life and continues to inspire me today as art and work, etc. It's crazy what a visionary he was. I mean, even if you up into the, his last video, if you look at his last video, I forget the name of it. Um, but his last video, if you recall, was sort of him dying. And it was uh, this really artistic video of him in bed, like on his deathbed. And I want to say it was like two months before he passed away. So clearly he knew that was Absolutely. imminent. And so he's always been such a visionary. But talk about the book, Marv. I mean, this book just came, it's coming out Tuesday. So let's talk about like this incredible book. How many pages is it? It looks like pretty I, thick, I think actually. It's, it's close to 300 pages. Uh, it's basically um, the best of the 60 issues of Ray Gun. It's all the covers. It's, um, you know, the coolest spreads. And then there's there's like a few new essays. I wrote the, the an essay. Liz um, Fair, right? Liz Fair wrote an essay, an amazing essay. She's such a good writer. Mm. Um, and uh, Wayne Coyne from the Flaming Lips wrote Very a great cool. essay. And then Stephen Huller, Heller, who is like a graphic design guru, writes for the New York Times and. Yeah, because Reagan was one of the pinnacle, you know, media mag music magazines of the '90s, right? It won hundreds of design awards, featured in museums, London, London Museum of Design, Victorian Albert Museum, amazing, etc. So everyone, pick up the book because it comes out Tuesday. So I, I do want to talk about. Obviously, this book is so incredible; it has so many great pictures in it, and and so many great shoots. And you'll see what I'm talking about about the typography and the design and. Again, like one of the most progressive design magazines you'll ever see. Um, and back when uh, when people really cared about the aesthetics of magazines, everything wasn't online. And actually holding a magazine and reading it meant something really special. I still go to the magazine store and buy magazines, as probably you do. But I, I feel like it's sort of a bit of an art form that's sort of dying a little bit with what's going on in media these days. But so, you know, you have this magazine, Marv. You have Ray Gunn. And at a certain point, you keep going for how many years? Um I was there for from 92 to the end of 98. And basically, I had started a, a lot of magazines underneath it. You know, I'd built like... Bikini? I started Bikini, um, which was like the first guy's magazine before Maxim and yeah. um, FHM, etc. And like a first sort of lads magazine. And that had a very irreverent tone. Um, kind of a similar, almost, like, would you consider it like a men's ray gun in a sense? It was a men's magazine, but... Um, I'm trying to recall Bikini. More, I mean, I remember More irreverent in the, in the writing and the attitude. Okay. Um, we featured actors on the cover as well, where ray gun was strictly music. Musicians, right. So, so talk about your, you know, your path from, you go from ray gun and eventually you end up starting Nylon Magazine yourself, Jacqueline... Supermodel Helena Christensen, who I've actually been representing for, God, I don't even know, I want to say 15 years. She's also a client of mine. Shout out to HC. What's up? Um, and how that whole thing started. Like, how did the ending of Raygun come about? Did the magazine continue when you, when you weren't there? And, and what gave you this sort of concept to start Nylon and, and, and talk about, like, 
you know, a little bit about the, the inception of nylon and how you met Helena and all that. So um, I had this idea to start like a cool indie girls magazine. And this was sort of like the around the middle or end of 98. And um, it was kind of a little inspired by bikini, but for women. And, uh, and I just felt like there was such it was white space. And I always like to look for white space. Where is that white space? And so you thought that there was sort of a hole in the marketplace. Absolutely, absolutely. Because what were the magazines at I that mean, time? I mean, there were yeah. all these big corporate magazines: right. which, Glamour, Cosmo, Vogue, Al, whatever. Exactly, right? exactly. But nothing indie. No, no. What no. about ID magazine, like the stuff from London? You're talking about America, right? Because there were those publications from sure. London. Sure. I mean, and I loved ID. ID was inspirational for me. You know. To do this, to do well, to do even ray gun. Yeah, you know, I, I, um, you know, in some of my formative years, I was interested in in ID and the face and Andy Warhol's interview. The was face inspiring. was such a cool magazine, wasn't I, it? I loved the cool face. Yeah, yeah, great magazine. And Warhol, and, and true, like I thought, you know, interview and and you know Warhol's version of that was very very cool and, and so iconic. Cool, man. Still one of the coolest magazines ever for us magazine heads. Yeah. So you get this idea to start Nylon, women sort of centric. Actors, you know, focusing on exactly, actors, yes. musicians, um, and and you. How did you meet Helena Christensen? So I had met Helena. Helena um, started shooting for for me with Reagan and Bikini. So because uh, people don't know, sometimes people, they may not know she's a photographer. She's too. a great photographer. Yeah. So um, so we became friends, and when I was starting this this new magazine, Nylon. I had the idea for it. I had an investor in, in the Raygun Publishing Company, and I just, I really lost interest in, in, in music at that point. It was like the height of the boy band era, and it, I just wasn't relating to it like I did in the past, and I just thought, I'm going to start something different. So you're, not, you're not into BTS? I love BTS now <laughs> okay. because it's it's a different it's, different thing. Right. It's like I wouldn't it's, hear I wouldn't actually imagine you to say you love BTS, but if you I do, love the cool. idea and yeah. the and the pop culture value of right, BTS. Right. So um, I think it's cool too. I don't know. I don't necessarily consider myself a fan of that music, right. but I do. It's a movement. You know, you can't ignore it. Absolutely. Amen. So it's so cool. Um, so, uh, but we're digressing. We're digressing. <laughs> um, so. So back to the formation of Nylon. So I had this partner in Raygun. I said, you guys just buy me out. I've got an idea for something new. And Did Raygun stop? Went did... on for another year. Okay. And then stopped. Stop. Um, so, uh, so we start Nylon in the spring of 99. I met Helena. I wanted Helena to be involved in, in, in Nylon. I, she was almost like a muse and, and um, thought she'd be really cool. Um, we, Brought her in as creative director, and she she inspired a lot of the early concepts cool. of, of what we were doing. And she was she was great. Who was your first cover? First cover Liv was Tyler? Liv Tyler and and Helena and Liv. We shot that in my house. And so you think I didn't do my research, but guess yeah. what I did? Yeah. <laughs> so um, and and Helena and Liv have been old old friends for many years. Exactly. In another weird um, connection that we all have for a. A uh, short period of time, um, I managed with my partner Robbie at the time, uh, Liv Tyler's husband's band, Space Hawk. Amazing. So um, there is another, you know, one degree of separation. This is back in the day. But so I knew Liv kind of well, and her father is probably my favorite human being on the planet. Shout out to Steven Tyler. 
Yeah, he's yeah. super cool. So um, Liv had actually been on a cover of Bikini Magazine cool. prior. So um, but, so the concept of Nylon was, was all that, right? Actors, musicians. Actors, music. It, it was like cool girls magazine, but heavily infused with a music DNA because music was still such a passion of mine. And I felt like that was not represented in any of the women's magazines. It was more entertainment. It wasn't like you know, those typical magazines, how to lose five pounds in 10 days and how to keep your boyfriend happy. Yeah, I like those magazines. Don't talk about that. (laughs) So it was 1999 that Nylon started. So you're talking literally now, um, what are we, 21 years ago since then? So the magazine's been been around that long? Um, I guess so. It's crazy, right? I guess so, crazy. So, you know, in the 21 years, things have come and gone. You, you did a lot of real instrumental things with the magazine. You started, you had like a tour series. You had Nylon, actually the first Nylon music tour. Uh, some friends of mine, She Wants Revenge, 2008. You partnered with Live Nation. You did a lot of really great, interesting content plays. Um, and we should talk about for a second, Marv, you're also a photographer. So you ended up shooting a lot of the covers. Like when did, did you get in, into photography? I started photography like towards the end of Raygun. Um, you know, I'd always, um, I'd always been into photography, obviously, and assigned all the photography in, in Cream and, and uh, Raygun for a big part of the, the journey. But then I started thinking like I want to start – shooting photography so i started shooting then had you ever done it before or no i mean had you like not, messed around not had you really been testing i think or? I, I might have shot my sister or something right. <laughs> so you went from shooting your sister to like the cover of the magazine no i didn't shoot the cover back then i shot like gus van zandt and okay. that was that was pretty trippy like that was but, your first like professional photo shoot i shot a couple of fashion things on polaroid but my first fashion thing on polaroid this bank from Sweden saw it and they loved it and they hired me to shoot a, this huge campaign after I just shot my really my first shoot on Polaroids. And in, in another strange parallel universe, you and I have both had experiences like that in photography. And when I first started doing it, because I only do it every now and then for, for you know professional reasons too, I had no idea what I was doing. So did you have any idea what but you're I doing? I kind of gave you some tips, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I still claim I have no idea what I'm doing, <laughs> but I've managed to pull off some nice shoots with a, with a great photo assistant, Hector, over the years. It's also a great photographer in his own right. But um, so you basically, you didn't really know what you were doing. Did you know about lighting? Did you know anything no, about I mean, it? I, I didn't really because and I when I first started shooting, I shot on Polaroid, and, you know, everything you shoot on Polaroid is magic. So, right. um and then I learned along the way, and I, again, surround myself with great people, you know, was able to hire great assistants, et cetera. Um, but uh, I think the most important thing about photography is making a connection with the person you're shooting. I couldn't agree with you more. So that is hands down the most important thing Definitely. in my world. Um, and I was very good at that. So, um, do you have any thoughts of the fact that with the phone now everyone's a photographer with Instagram? I mean, there's no one that's not a photographer, right? Because the art form of photography and going back to the days of Helen Newton and, mm-hmm. and the real true—I mean, again, I claim I don't really know how to light anything myself, but that was a—it was a real art form. It still is. It's just taken a different shape now with where culture has gone. Because literally, with your iPhone now, you can shoot an ad campaign. So, you know. 
when you started shooting, you got your first shoot. That's kind of unheard of, too, let's be honest. Like, to shoot a big corporate project like a bank job, like on your second photo shoot, that really, for those of you aspiring to be photographers and get into this field, it's not really typically how it happens, right? You usually have to assist someone. Usually, have, there, there's a, a, a path and a journey that is quite unheard of. Right. But where did it go from there? And then, it, because you own the magazine, were you able to sort of, all right, I, I think I got this, and I'll start, you know, testing the waters here with little shoots exactly. in there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's how it it went and then with with nylon i just you know had a vision for how i wanted the covers to look and i felt like yeah i know that i can connect with whoever's on the cover 95 percent of the time but um and any because i know you went on to shoot like a lot of covers you had we should talk about the fact that there was Nylon, Nylon Guys, many editions of Nylon internationally that uh, yeah, eventually I mean, formed. But what were some of your favorite cover shoots? I know you did everyone from, like, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, like Jared Leto to Lana Del Rey to many others. So do any, is there any one particular shoot that sort of sticks out in your head of your connection with that person? I loved, I loved shooting Lana Del Rey. That, cool. was, that was an amazing session. Um, I shot Sienna Miller a couple times, which right. were great. Jared and I were already friends before I started shooting him. Um, Anybody ever cancel on you like last minute when you're waiting for them to show up at the studio? It's always a great story, right? Um, I wasn't shooting this particular cover, but um, Lindsay Lohan canceled it. Shocker. Shocker. <laughs> Shocker. <right? laughs> <laughs> All right, well, <laughs> that's kind of, I thought it was going to be something a little out of left field, but but yes, okay, well, that makes sense. So you have this magazine for many years, actually, to be quite correct, accurate, I believe it's 15 years, 15 right? 15 years, yeah. So, um, you know, in the la- that, that 15-year period that you had it, obviously you made a huge cultural stamp on, on just, again, pop culture and the fact that I think Nylon was one of the premier merging these mediums, right? It eventually went a, a bit into the content sort of media, even event yeah. space, some would say. Um, and the magazine business has changed like dramatically, Marvin. So, I mean, do you think print is dead as a medium? It, you know, do you think only going digital now is the future? And, and sort of what are your thoughts on where media and the magazine culture is going now? Like if you were to start a magazine tomorrow, mm-hmm. Would you do it again? Would it only be digital? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I do think that print has a place. Um, I don't think that that the whole mass magazine just being a print product is really relevant as at this time. Without giving away too many trade secrets, if you were right. to start a magazine tomorrow, yes, you, you know what would you say the template would be? Considering that you've had this vast career in publishing, you've started many magazines, right? Right. So because it's changed a lot in the last twenty-five years. So again, we're not giving away any secrets <laughs> here. But if you were going to start a magazine tomorrow called Marvin, right? What, what would sort of be the for those of you listening and wanting to get into this sort of media publishing space? Would it be only digital? Uh, for me, no. Okay. Like I would have some it would be primarily digital um and with video, you know, I was one of the first people to start something with TV at the end of your name. You know, we started Nylon TV in um was 2007. 2007, okay. 2007 right around when YouTube started and I had this idea like YouTube's around, like, 
anybody could be their own TV station. Like that really excited me. And so I took a camera and I took one, a really cool intern at the time, this girl Tracy, and she, her nickname was Spacey Tracy. And we took her to a couple stores like the Subi store and we took her to um, Kid Robot. I don't know if you remember Kid Robot. Yeah. And we, we shot some sort of like guerrilla videos and all of a sudden they got traction and I thought there's something here, you know, with Nylon TV. And so we invested more money into video and... By the way, you were ahead of the curve, right? Because look where it's all gone. So. Absolutely. I mean, we were the first to like start shooting cover shoots, you know, on video. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, it was it was an exciting time. We partnered when with... MySpace when they were really big. I was, Live Nation. Yeah, Live Nation. Yeah. Um, Apple. We did we did some great things with iTunes. And um, then take us to the last, let's say, four or five years. You've had popular TV. Let's talk about like the next, the last five years of your life, sort of what your main focus has been. Obviously, the book. I believe there's a documentary coming out yes. to accompany Ray Gun, the Bible of Music and Style. Um, uh, out on Tuesday. Um, so, yeah, talk about that too, right? Because obviously there's uh, – talk about the documentary for a minute and the last few years and what you've been up to. So the Reagan documentary is in process. We've interviewed a number of people and um, it is – it's, you know, in, it's probably going to come out in 2020 at this point. It just it takes a lot of time yeah, to of make course. a documentary um, like It's not this. like cooking a bagel. No, right? exactly. So um, – so yes, that and I directed a few documentary shorts for a friend of mine's clean energy company where I got to go to India and make a documentary. I went to Haiti and made a documentary. Amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, I traveled to Israel and, and uh, I've been thinking about, like, what's my next big thing and uh can you give us a hint it's gonna be in the the media and entertainment space shocker shocker again but, uh, <laughs> it's gonna be in the media space we didn't think that you were gonna go into like waste management or anything but um in the media space cool well that's great i mean listen i'm super excited for you it's always great to hear people's past right so for people to know you know you can start something from nothing and have a big successful and, you know, many different incarnations, you actually started many magazines. So congrats to someone that's been very successful in a business that's really hard and uh, not an easy business to sustain through. And so you've done really, really well through your photography, through this new book that's out. I know you've done many music videos and a documentary now. So all great and really inspiring stuff, Marv. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, anything last you want to leave us with? Because I did like the one thing you said, which is like if you surround yourself with great people, that's usually the key to being yeah, successful. Because um, I, I think you never want to be the smartest guy in the room. I think that um, people should be fearless. I think that as long as you have an interesting point of view, um, make something. Definitely. Well, wise words. I do want to, uh, once again, shout out to WeWork for hosting us today. I don't know if you guys know anything about this new entertainment sort of Hollywood-focused WeWork at the Pacific Design Center, but it's incredibly cool. Everyone sort of cohabitating and hopefully being very synergistic with each other. Uh, it's a great space. It's at the PDC, one of the coolest spaces we've ever been a part of at Lips LA. Super excited to be here. Love WeWork. This is actually so cool that we're actually sitting in a podcast studio here that they created, which is great. And uh, so thank you, WeWork. And um, yeah, we'll see you guys next and pick up the book Thanks on so Tuesday. Much, Ray Gun, the Bible of Music and Style. This is Lips LA.
This is a call from an inmate at the Indiana State Prison. My name is Phil Chalmers, and I'm a serial killer profiler. How many murders are you responsible for? 36. 47 to 52. I found Sister's killer. I want to see him face to face. Listen to Where the Bodies Are Buried, a true crime podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jingle Jared. In my former occupation, I was the biggest jingle writer of all time. Now, I'm looking for a new job, speaking to every entrepreneur that I can find so I can find out what it's like to transition from one career to another. All of this expert advice has become the bedrock for a podcast I'm calling Occupational Therapy. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. y'all i'm uncle drank star of the ballad of uncle drank it is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me fictional golf and western country music pioneer uncle drank the series also stars luke wilson brian kelly chelsea lynn kinky friedman and billy zane as a talking blender named blendy you can find the ballad of uncle drank on sirius xm pandora stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts 